Welcome back to The Short Game, a show about short video games, games that respect your time. My name's Nate Heininger, and I'm joined by two fantastic hosts today. We've got Lori J. Nash. How are you? I'm great. I'm loving you name dropping the J. I, you use it on, on Twitter. Things. I do, yes. On Twitter, okay. Yep. And uh, it just it's always stuck in my head that you're Laura J. Nash. I, it's a good name. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, and Shane... Uh, Excelsior Kelly. David Chain Sherrits Kelly. <laughs> Thank you. Someone knows all my many names. I'm feeling very good today. Wonderful. Uh, I feel like this is the third or fourth podcast where I've, lear- I've re-remembered or been reminded that Shane is your middle name. Um, yes, it comes will, up will, with surprising regularity in my life. Yeah, I've known you for a long time and that fact never sticks. Same with Reagan. Who's not with us today? Um, he is off on a wonderful trip uh gallivanting across europe with his wife and so we're uh we're sorry he missed this one i think this would have been right up his alley but we're hoping he's having a good time out in europe and today we are talking about donut county the long-awaited donut county Uh, yeah terrific it's been on our wanting to playlist since 2012 yeah right uh, so this game was published by Annapurna Interactive, a name that is starting to get more and more uh, like press and cred behind it as they release new and better games over and over. Uh, but it was developed by one person, Ben Esposito. Now, uh, this has, as we just hinted at, it's had a long development cycle. And with any long development cycle comes a usually a crazy development story and we did a little bit of research on it because i think it's it's part of the whole thing with this game the whole thing uh, with this game (laughs) nice uh so laura i know you did a lot of the research let's talk about what took this so long to come out well the idea so the premise of donut county is that you play as a hole in the ground and it's this story filled physics puzzle game that's how Ben likes to describe it. It actually started off uh, for the game jam based on a parody, a tweet from a parody uh, Peter Molyneux account. Yeah, there's a there's a parody account that it's come up a few times in my online life. This account because it's just so funny. Um, So for those who might not know Peter Molyneux, he's the guy that came up with the game Black and White. Um, he came up with, uh, I want to say Populous. I might have some of these wrong, but he's famous for these big sandboxy, uh, quote unquote, God games. Yeah, um, and it's, this is P- Peeler Mola Doe is the yeah. parody. <laughs> so, so the idea of this account was basically just throwing out BS uh, video game ideas that could never work, except in this case, one did. And it... At first, it didn't. That's the really fun part, isn't it? Yeah. Through a lot of grit and determination uh, and self-awareness and many different versions, they were able to make a game out of this. So the original tweet was, you play a hole, you must move around an environment, making certain elements fall into correct targets at the right time. Except for the correct targets bit, it's pretty much spot on with what this game ended up being. Yeah, but there are correct targets even still. True. The puzzles are real minor in this game, but if you want to be very literal, you often have to make the correct target fall into the hole for the first step of the puzzle. That is true. So, yeah. So he takes this game, he does a game jam, um, and then he develops this game called China, and it's based on Hopi culture, and then it he basically later on 
gave a talk at GDC a year later about, or in 2015, about failure that was like, yep, I totally culturally appropriated all of Hopi culture. I know nothing about them. I thought their art style was cool. I took a bunch of names. I got really, he's like, I should have done that. And then I also realized that the game didn't make any sense. It was supposed to be spiritual and I had no connection to it. So he completely scratched it and decided to make it about LA and gentrification and like raccoons were invading his apartment. And so he said, you know, I was kind of inspired by my first LA apartment where the place was definitely run by raccoons. It was intense. I mean, I love them, but it's fucked up. (laughs) So like he starts taking that and he, he realized that the hole wasn't the point. It was what you put in the hole. This is starting an intentionally dirty, but what you put in the (laughs) hole is what matters. So like, he realized that the story wasn't you, the destructive force, the whole. He also said he did a lot of game testing and people got super bummed about like, he made all these cute environments and then you sucked them all into a hole and then you were left with a blank screen. And people were like, well, it felt great putting stuff in the hole. And then I felt super sad when it was empty. So he realized he had to have story. There were several times in this game where I felt bad about making the things fall into the hole. Uh, we're going to talk about the art design later, but it is it is very cute. And I got to throw the comp right up front because immediately it reminded me of Katamari. Yes. Um, now, it's not the same in that, obviously, Katamari, you're rolling around this giant ball. It's getting bigger. You're, it allows you to uh, absorb more and more stuff, and that stuff sticks on the ball, and it, it just creates more and more chaos. It's essentially the same thing. Only this, you're starting with a real small hole and stuff's falling into the hole and the hole's getting bigger and bigger and bigger, allowing you to drop larger things into it. But there was something about the, like, when you'd stick something to the ball in Katamari, you'd still see it there and the things were... Persistent. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, they're always there and it just seems so unlikely that it didn't really matter. Like, I felt, I did not feel bad about absorbing like a hundred people in Katamari and the whole thing was chaos right everything's running away from you everything is insane and this you're dropping like I don't know adorable little animals and they just fall and you don't you kind of know where they go because of the story but it also might imply that they're just gone and sometimes and some like very few creatures actually seem to ever even be aware that they were about to fall into a hole but when they did, they would run in pure panic, uh, like the little lizards. Like, they seemed to know something was up, uh, and that made it worse. I liked it when they just fell unknowingly into the hole. We play a lot of games where we hear stories about refining the mechanic. This is one of the few stories behind a game where you hear about the concept constantly being rethought. Is like The mechanic was never in question, but the story behind it was completely rewritten many, many, many times because he realized you have to play a bad guy, but also have a shot at redemption so you don't feel terrible. So that's kind of the the big story behind it. Meanwhile, he kind of, to pay bills, he happened to work on Unfinished Swan and what, you know, what happened to Edith Finch. So he got really good creds along the way. Yeah, those are still two of my absolute favorite games that we've ever played. Uh, for this show. Unfinished Swan was such a delight and a treat for me. Uh, And so that's just realizing there was that connection made me so excited about this game. Yeah. And I think so. We're not really going to do a spoiler break on this episode, but 
we're also not really going to talk about, I, I guess, like sort of the ending. Yeah. Other than there's um, a surprising, there is a boss battle. <laughs> yeah, there. But I, I say that to say, um, part of the joy of this game is understanding and learning what's actually happening. And I think that he probably, I'm totally, you know, conjecturing here, but probably picked that up a little bit during the design of Unfinished Swan for sure. And then maybe a little bit of what remains of Edith Finch, because that is a game where you kind of have an idea of what's happening, but your understanding of like what and why you're doing the things that you're doing, it, it grows as you get further. Mm -hmm. And in this game, you are controlling a little hole in various scenes and settings and scenarios and absorbing everything on the land. And you don't really understand what or why you're doing it other than the thing you do understand is that no one likes what you're doing. <laughs> it's it's not it's not well, who a wants to good, fall in a hole. <laughs> yeah, it's not a good outcome. It's so satisfying, the, the, but also <laughs> awful. Yeah, and I and I really liked that and um, it was so un like there was so much unknown at the beginning of the game that it actually I felt like I almost wish they did give you a little bit more because there were some times at the beginning of the game where I was like what am I why am I even is this just like a mini game game where I'm just gonna keep like just going around dropping things into holes and that's it and the game grows and builds and by the end of it it's like a really complete package um, but they, it's like really obscured at the beginning other than that you're just you know, moving a little hole around. Uh, you can play this game on touchscreens or on a couple different consoles, and you're just controlling a little hole and starting with dropping like I don't know a small rock, and that gets you big enough to drop like the coffee cup that's sitting there. That gets you enough to drop like a brick. That gets you enough to drop uh, a rabbit, and then it gets you enough to drop a chair, and it just gets up and up and up until just like in Katamari, you're dropping like rocks and mountains and buildings and the entire setting. It's really satisfying when you have things like, you know, there's no objects small enough for you to pick up, but there's like a table covered in small objects. You can't, you can't drop the whole table, but you can get the leg of the table in the hole and then just whip the table around and knock everything off and then gobble up all the individual little items off the table. So it's a, it's a, it's a fun game. One thing I like about it in that play style there is like everything's pretty much on a single screen uh, so unlike Katamari where you're like cruising around in a three-dimensional world uh, this has that kind of feel of a 2d kind of space even though it is definitely 3d um, the art style supports that too with you know the lack of any kind of shading or, or lighting effects and uh, you know no textures on the objects um, so it, it's it's really neat when you're when you, you have this sort of scene laid out before you and you just have to figure out piece by piece how to dismantle it, you know, through the use of yeah. a growing hole in gravity. Yeah, the um, just one last thing with the uh, Katamari comp, and I, and I won't talk about it anymore. It's just that's like one of my favorite games. And this is the first game I've played since Katamari that gives me even like an inkling of the feeling that Katamari gave me. Sidebar, why isn't there a Katamari on the Switch yet? It would be perfect. Uh game developers who, who I forget the guy who owns Katamari go and do it because that would be awesome but uh, the, the big difference with this game uh, to Katamari in my opinion besides like the, the tone and everything is there's no timer there's nothing that's like there's no perfect path Katamari was 
almost you had to you had to like figure out the perfect route to solve the game the level uh, before the time ran out. This game, there is no timer. You there are puzzles, um, and we'll talk about those here in a little bit. But it's pretty chill. You're just roll moving around a little hole, seeing if some if you can't figure out how to get something down into it. There's probably something else you got to figure out. There's no nothing. The king of the cosmos is not breathing down your neck, uh, judging you for every single mistake that you make. It's just you have all the time in the world to solve each. I mean, area. it's so mellow. In Marie Kondo, you know, land of like you gotta unclutter your life. I felt like this was what the video game was like, very zen garden, like all of the same kind of clearing out, you know, making an empty space. Um, it's not to make yourself feel more relaxed, but it, it does feel weirdly calming and soothing. And it scratches that like itch of having a clear to do list or something. You feel weirdly accomplished is what I'm saying because yeah. you've cleared out the land and destroyed some people's lives while you're at it. And that's completely different from, Katamari Namasi, because that one you're just growing and growing and making more and more chaos as you go. Um, this yeah. one is much more like clean plate, move on. Yeah, you cleaned your plate. Clean the plate, yeah. move on, and identified identified the friendly neighbor who's minding their own business, uh, going about their daily life, and making sure that you've absorbed them and everything that they love and own, and making sure it falls 999 feet below Donut County. With that in mind, I mean, this game is really funny. You can tell that like, I've, since my husband played it today, he, we've said lol to each other verbally about 30 times. <laughs> yeah, it's got a really unique writing style. Um, I, I don't know. I know we've got some quotes from it, but you kind of have to see it to totally understand it. But it is sort of that, like, I don't know. It's like internet culture writing without being full of memes, if that makes sense. Um all, a lot of short jokes, a lot of like people say LOL to each other, think like things like that. Um, I don't know. It's it's. I'll say this: it's not always funny, but it, they make everything is basically a joke, so it it makes it overall funny. There's a lot of eye rolling uh, jokes. At least I think it's probably mm-hmm. everyone has their own limit, or will find different things funny. There's a lot. So here's a comparison. You know that internet meme where it's like a raccoon's on a raccoon. It's a trash panda, and a snake isn't yeah. a snake. It's a scare or a scary. Snack. It's a live yeah, spaghetti. A danger, a noodle. danger noodle. It, noodle. Like that is, I personally think, a really annoying. Like it's it's so overplayed at this point. Those jokes are all over this game, but that's probably still funny to a lot of people. Or maybe this game is their first time seeing it. But there's so many things like that that it it's not all funny to the individual but overall there's a lot of really really funny stuff and it made me laugh the majority of the time i think to me a lot of the uh, a lot of the humor is just in the design and the kind of oddity of what you're actually seeing you like you'll have these you know weird scenarios like the the cat mm-hmm. restaurant Oh, or cat soup, which um, I think is a joke about ketchup, like the British cat yeah. soup. Yeah, that's a it's a pun, I guess. Yeah, yes, it's a pun. Maybe if I was um, English, it would make more sense. <laughs> yeah, or or the uh, the you know not to throw a spoiler, but there's a there's a water park for raccoons that I found just to be Raccoon hilarious Lagoon. to see. So like a lot of lot of yeah. visual jokes. I think, well, and everything is. Game doing its own thing until you're absorbing them so 
you know, they're, they're living their life and they might be doing working in their little restaurant or driving their silly little car. Uh, they're all different animals or different types of things that look like animals. Not sure exactly what everything was. Um, and like the world scales to fit that. So there are like mice doing their own little mice life in the world of giant like crocodiles having their crocodile. Some animals are sentient some, some are and not. some are yeah, not. That, it's-, it's always a little uncomfortable. But um, uh, so, yeah, so let's talk about the story a little bit more, because I, I really think uh, outside mm-hmm. of the, the small puzzle part, uh, which I think we can talk about in a second, uh, the story is what like moves the game forward and it's the driving force of the game. And, and as you said, Laura, it's what the development was mostly about. Um, so one of you want to give like a brief overview of what the story is, as far as you can tell, at least early on. The story kind of drops you into, you know, hole shifting pretty quick, but it, it starts off with the two characters, uh, Mia, who is a, um, you know, looks like a, about to be a teen girl, with, you know, cute hair and, you know, cool outfit. You know, she's always texting. So she's on her phone texting with BK, who is a uh, talking, uh, let's say, trash panda. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Date. And so they're, they're joking back and forth. He is at his job working at the donut shop, which is the kind of central location of the game. And he's texting back and forth with her about an app that he's downloaded. Uh, and it's it's a game, and he wants to go from level nine to level ten in order to get the mm-hmm. quadcopter. It's not really clear initially, like what the connection is between that and the actual gameplay with the hole. I, so it I, it took me a while to kind of catch on to that. I don't know if that I was think clear that's what I was talking about earlier. Is everything is pretty obscured at first? You just know, um, BK works at donut at the donut shop in Donut County, and it starts out, and he's mm-hmm. been he has to step away. Because someone has ordered a donut, which apparently in this world, I mean, I guess this probably also just exists in real with like Postmates and whatnot, but someone's ordered a donut and he's going to go deliver that donut and then, or a donut, donut. somebody has delivered a donut. And then all of a sudden you're, it says tap on the screen uh, to place a hole and it doesn't, you don't actually place the hole wherever you want. You just tap on the screen and it zooms in. And now you're controlling the hole, and you start letting things fall into it. It, it lets you know that BK is a little nefarious right off the bat, because Mia's like, oh, I'd go to work, but this guy keeps honking outside, and then he just, like, you suck the dude into the, the dude on a scooter into a hole, and then she's like, oh, the honking stonked. He's like, yeah, I delivered him a donut. <laughs> um, like, a little while later, someone actually asked him, like, what do you think a donut is? <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It's, it seems early, like, the thing you figure out relatively quick is whenever someone orders a donut, they are instead getting BK with his app that somehow places a hole in the real world that he's controlling, I guess, from his phone and dropping and, you know, just absorbing everything. And, the, and that's also, after you do that for the first time, it does sort of like a time jump and you go now to 999 or I think it's 999 or 995 feet below Donut County and there's like a little campfire and it's all the townspeople all in a circle and they're all just basically yelling at BK and this all happens within like the first 10 minutes of the game. The first level where you're controlling the hole for the first time is very small and so this is all very very quick. Um, 
And they're all yelling at BK. And they're really upset that they're down in this hole now. He's denying everything, denying everything. And then the, you, the, basically like the gameplay loop of the game is somebody pipes up to blame BK. And then they're like, oh, how'd you fall in the hole? And yeah, and, and then it fades, and we see we then gain control of the hole and proceed to absorb everything that that person that person who was just talking about that we just saw around the campfire, everything and anything that's around them. Uh, and you just work your way through the game, slowly learning about the story of every person around this campfire and how they got dropped into the hole. And it's pretty delightful i love that sort of book ending of a story um it's kind of like in a movie or a show or whatever they're like wake up in the hospital they're like let me tell you how i got here but you're controlling it so it's a lot more fun than that yeah emily short who uh is a interactive fiction writer she's kind of someone we we like to talk about a lot i did a write-up and she said this was a really interesting triangle identity problem which is a very academic word for basically like who are you because sometimes you're playing as bk sometimes you're you know on the townspeople side but it gives you this weird shifting allegiance thing where it's awfully fun to suck things into a hole but then you have to talk have everyone tell you that that was a horrible thing to do but then you keep being a hole yeah the- she's like should i stop being a hole and i was like well no because you want to keep playing the game <laughs> There's no, there's no option to not drop things. There's no option not to. You're be not moral. making a moral yeah. choice here. This it's, is a, it's in the this past. It's already said. It's already <laughs> yeah. done. You, That's right. It's BK's fault. He's already done it. You're just reliving it. One of the funnier parts about you know, BK is constantly denying everything. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. But then like little yes. bits of dialogue might indicate that, you know, for one reason or another, falling in the hole has provided a benefit. Uh, yeah, they all get to spend more time together or whatever. BK will be like, see, isn't this great? And they're like, I thought you didn't do it. He's like, I didn't do it. And it just like, yeah, whoever, whoever did, did it. it is awesome. Yeah, it's, it's, um, the campfire scenes are strange and funny and they just keep like new characters pop up and then you go out and absorb them. And it just sort of builds from there. It's everyone, you, you learn a lot about the different strange characters. And then you also learn a lot about BK and why he's doing this. Uh, but it is weird because you're like you're not seeing you're not like in the eyes of BK. He's just another townsperson in the row. And whenever you are doing the game, it's not like you are BK. Uh, there's like a little icon in the corner that kind of indicates that you're BK, but even that takes a little while to figure it out that you know you're BK. It feels like two different things going on. Um, and it took me a while to even realize like. I am BK and this is and this is me doing this. It feels intentional that you have that weird cognitive dissonance about like who are you and who is like who is am I the bad guy? It, it's a little confusing, but what I love about each scene and what it makes me think that you're just like playing the app along with BK, like suddenly you're in the app, is that you finish a level and then you get this great delivery scene where you see I your love it. adorable character falling like Alice in Wonderland down the hole and it plays this amazing yeah, music. It's real, <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. It's so good. I hope you just play yeah. it right here. Yeah. 
And then you can look at the Trashpedia, which is very much like Katamari Damaseed. Have a Garbage Day pops up as a load screen, which if uh, you buy this on iOS, you get a sticker pack um, for your messages. And it's actually really funny. Have a Garbage Day is one of the stickers you can send people. And I have been sending it to people all week who have no (laughs) idea what this game is. Yeah, the the Trashpedia is is funny, too, because... So yeah, you're just going through and it just gives you a little list of everything that you have absorbed. And this is the highest concentration of jokes. And it is exactly the same sort of thing where I was talking about Trash Panda, but they're doing it for everything. So like a cup, a chair or whatever. And it has like some silly definition of what it is. Um, and, and like, I don't know, seven out of 10 of them aren't funny, or at least I did not find them funny. But the three out of the 10 that were funny, uh, were I thought really really funny, so it was worthwhile to go through this trashopedia after every single level and see what stupid interpretation of this various thing was. That's a feature that I think is one of the things they borrowed most directly from Katamari. Katamari did this exact thing, having an encyclopedia of all the objects that you've ever uh, collected up with funny names and and uh, facts about them. Um, this one, I think, does it just right because it makes it very optional, but it does put it in your yeah. face between between every level. Um, so, you know, if you if you're not in the mood to charge on into the, the next cutscene, which you might not be, uh, you can just sort of flip through some of these uh, objects, looking back at the past scene and, you know, see what dumb joke they make about the weird, you know, geckos that you grabbed. We, we were kind of talking about how um, the, each level has its own sort of puzzle or thing and I think let's talk about those because that's the other like sort of big mechanic of the game Um, so you're not only just dropping things into a hole sometimes there are things that you cannot get access to by just sliding under it you have to interact with either one or a series of objects on the screen in order to get access to it like the most simple one is what Shane was talking about knock over the table so you can get the stuff on top of it. But uh, really early on, they start introducing really simple mechanics, and by the end of the game, it's a little bit more complicated. Never gets, like, you know, full all-out puzzle to me. It's, it's it's It stays pretty straightforward throughout the whole game, but uh, every level does consistently introduce some twist, and it usually takes the form of some object that you can drop into the hole that has some kind of lingering effect. Um, So the first level that really has it is the second one, um, where uh, you are just sort of by the side of the road. Uh, They've ordered uh, a kind of a dog mom and boy have ordered a donut. Not clear who ordered the donut. So you're you're trying to collect all this thing and uh, stuff. You get all you can get almost everything. But somebody is in a hot air balloon. The young boy is in a hot air balloon. And so obviously he won't be falling into the hole anytime soon. Uh, but so to complete that level, uh, you collect the kind of pottery kiln uh, that has a roaring fire inside of it. And as you do that, hot air starts to rise out of the hole and you can use that to make the hot air balloon float away. And that's kind of an impetus for some of the story stuff later on. His, uh, his the, the flying boy in the hot air balloon is... Uh, <laughs> is a thing that comes back for you in the story later. My sweet puppin' boy. <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, some later with fire, there's one where you absorb a campfire, and then there's just sort of, like, 
uh, smoke and can like little sparks coming out of the hole. And then a bird coughs up a battery or charcoal, charcoal or something briquettes? like that. Yeah, and if you drop that into the hole, you have like three seconds and then a flame will shoot out of the hole. And so you'll use that to burn up some things to make it more accessible to fall into the hole. And like that's really simple versions of it. It gets a little bit more complicated. There's like things that you shoot out of the hole, like fireworks that you have to hit stuff in the sky. You have to time it just a little bit. It's like the most forgiving timing of any game. The rabbits were the weirdest one. Yeah, I I think this reminded me of a little bit of like a very tight vocabulary version of Scribble Knots, which is a game where you can put any word on screen and it appears and you use it to yeah. solve puzzle. It, this was much like you have a couple things in the environment and you have to learn how to combine them in your hole to solve the problem. And I, yeah, there's every level has its own little variant. Uh, I was surprised at the flexibility. There's no... I wouldn't say there's no consistency between levels, but there's no worry about making levels feel the same. There's no like, here's one mechanic, and then we're going to do that for four levels. No, you're going to learn one trick, and then the next level you're going to learn another trick. And towards the end you combine them, but there, it's it's more interested in exploring everything about the whole than trying to you know, get everything out of one yeah, mechanic. That, so I agree. Um, with that being said, that is one of the only criticisms I have of this game because I and it's not even a criticism. It's more just like I wish it was more of something because um, I really enjoyed this game. But I early I, I think the second half of the game is is considerably better than the first half of the game. Um, and I think that's because in the second half of the game, those mechanics do become more complicated. And it's not much. It's not much more than drop up. You know, uh, now you have fire in the hole so you can uh but they'll but combine, and that it, makes it a does. Huge and difference. I and I think I wish that that just is how it started because I think the the player would have understood. I, I I part of me thinks that it starts off like really really simple, just because that's how standard games go, and you sort of learn and you get better. But the game is so short that when the when the hole dropping mechanic starts to get more than just like a little satisfying, it actually gets like interesting and more challenging. That's when the game was the most fun for me. Um, and I wish that there was more of that. Or at least at the beginning of the levels or the first levels, be longer and let the scale of the things that you're absorbing be more uh, be more of it. Because it, they're very, very short. And that's fine. It's a short game overall. And obviously that's kind of our thing here. But I, I just, like, the first few levels, it di- it was interesting but it wasn't really fun until the end when there was way more scale and you're absorbing like big buildings and things like that and you're solving just slightly more complicated puzzles so i wish that that would have been the case the entire game because it was more fun that said my seven-year-old nephew who did not have the patience or wherewithal for breath of the wild yet it was incredibly frustrating for him i can't wait to play this with him over christmas break because i think he's going to be super like he He's a destructive <laughs> being because all yeah. children are. He's going to love pouring things on holes. And it being so forgiving up mm-hmm. front means towards the end when you do have to combine, he's going to feel like he's got it. Like There's not a lot of games that I like that he also can feel like he has yeah. mastery over. Like I generally like harder right. games than children. <laughs> what? Which is totally yeah. Go what? figure. <laughs> so it's rare to find a game that both of us will enjoy. I guess, and I don't mean to say I just, like, I wish this game were harder, because I, you know, I can totally enjoy a not hard game. 
I just thought it was a considerably more interesting use of the mechanic later um, for the second half of the game, and I wish that would have been the case throughout because I think that would have been more worthwhile, like the the because the game is so short, more worthwhile of the time. But I really only say this to say that if you pick up this game and you play the first few levels and like nothing is really making sense and you're just dropping things into a hole and these characters are weird and that like I don't understand what I'm doing, I think that's mostly the point. Uh, keep going because it just gets better and better and better. And by the end of the game, I was really into it. So um, I, I, I don't know if the beginning of the game represents itself as well as the back half of the game does. It takes four or five levels in. And oddly, the um, great delivery progress marks are going between level nine and level 10, which is when everything goes horribly south. And you, but um, which is implied with the six week later, you see a nice progress bar. I would love short, more short games to have a sense of yeah. progress to know how far in the game I am because I always knew how many levels in. So look at the progress bar, give it a quarter through the progress bar before you call it quits. That's not no. a lot of time, to be honest. It's about 15 minutes. So yep. give it more than 15 minutes before <laughs> you decide if you want to keep playing the game. What a yeah, hardship. Yeah, this is one of the very few games that we've played for the show that I really was able to complete in one sitting. Um, you know, it, Our whole hunt on this show is for games that you know, are really short, obviously. But it's very, very rare that I have a satisfying game experience that is this short and this complete feeling. Like I, I'm kind of in the opposite camp from Nate. Like I don't feel like a really I- expansive exploration of these mechanics would have really held up. Like, could you play like a six-hour version or an eight-hour version of this game and still feel like you know you were having a great time? I'm not totally yeah. convinced. I think it's it's really a perfect a perfect length, and I don't I would struggle to come up with more ways to have like you know weird special effects on the whole. Like I, I guess you could have a laser beam fall in the hole or yeah. something. I don't know, but it's not. It's just it's just you know you, you they pretty much run the gamut of like you know the basic elemental type stuff like fire and water and they you know they have you know the uh, the thing with the rabbits, like I said, which I think was the most creative use. You know, if two rabbits fell in the hole, they would breed and a bunch of rabbits would fly out. You'd see little hearts and then you'd pick up more rabbits and your hole would get even bigger and bigger. Um, so that was that was pretty hilarious. Um, I, I, I just don't see this expanding out past that. Um, so I guess I, I don't really consider this a critique of the game. I think the scale of the game and the nature of the game are really paired beautifully together um i, I wouldn't yeah, want it that's totally fair i'm and i don't even know if i'm verbalizing exactly how i felt i just know that when i first started in the first like i would have said maybe a little bit more than 15 minutes but not that far into the game i was like man i would like this hole is a lot of fun i wish i was doing more with it early um and i just have a picture like more like the world collapsing down on top of itself and like more uh like i don't know like rube goldberg in things where you're like making things collapse and making things I, I guess I was like missing the chaos you wanted yeah. a chain it, you played guacamole <laughs> and now you want chains I, I think and I would have loved more like world chaos going on Every, like other than like the lizards I was talking about nothing seems to really ever acknowledge that they're about to fall into a hole and I just I guess I would have liked that a little bit more like 
not that I need to see the fear yeah. in my victim's eyes, but like I wanted, the, <laughs> I wanted like the world to collapse and fall on itself a little bit more and like bring everything down with it. Um, but I really don't want to sit on this for too long because this is like a real minor thing because I did ultimately like really enjoy the game. I just like, that's something I felt at the beginning when I was playing it. And so if you're, you know, playing this game, if you've listened to this episode and you decide to buy it, which I really hope that you do, and you don't feel as like jived about it as we are right now, give it some time because it gets, uh, it, it's, it's better and better and better as it's going on. At least for me. Something that has, other than the fact that you play an asshole, and I'm quoting the developer on that, he said you're basically playing yeah. an asshole. <laughs> other than that, um, the other big divisive thing on this is some people love the visuals and some people think the visuals look like someone who wasn't trying very hard. <laughs> um, it's something that I found when I was uh, reading all these articles on uh, Ben Esposito in the background is that he like, tried to take everything off of Unity so that it would still look cute in 3D. And so it looks very blocky and uh, that might be partly why everyone's comparing it to Katamari because it does look like kind of an old PlayStation game in many aspects. That kind of weird blocky texture. But something I found, he said that part of that look is so that you don't feel guilty. <laughs> like by making the environment so candy colored and so blocky and so abstract, it makes you not feel guilty when you destroy people's lives. Like more games where you play as the villain and you're destroying a candy covered world that you don't care as much. <laughs> it's very funny. I, I the the thought process of I don't want them to care about it. So let's make it cute. It's not, that doesn't seem to jive. Like, I wish they were, like, I don't know, like, hideous. Yeah, he said, it's pastel colored glasses, which kind of absolve you of the questionable things you do as a hole in the ground. And I was like, it actually makes I me know, feel worse. I know, the little rabbits and everything are adorable. <laughs> and the little lizards and they're running around, like, I don't know. I, it did not, My it didn't work. My favorite thing is that dumb, dumb pug that doesn't have any joints yeah, in its just, legs. So it just bounces straight up in the air with these like locked legs and just falls on its side. And it's the most like that stupid rolling dog. I felt I put it in the hole. I was like, can I just keep have? Can I just not suck the dog in the hole and just watch it run around in its physics based world for another 30 yeah. minutes? Because it's really bumming me out that I have to like this dog is not going to be in my life anymore. Uh, this is. Um, talking about the art style uh, this is not one of you two made but I want to make sure uh, it gets in there too is that uh, there are things that you are often having to shoot up into the sky and they make it very clearly marked with uh, like shadows beneath the thing that you're shooting up to and so it's, it makes it very easy you just line the hole up and shoot it and it's so nice because of that 3D angle I feel it would it would be very frustrating to try to line up exactly under it so there's a great little uh, design choice and makes it um, this game is never frustrating and I think it's for reasons like that so that, that can be really hard in an isometric environment where everything is tilted to figure out what is below what just putting a beam of light down life's so much easier yeah absolutely so I love that uh, so let's talk about the music uh, briefly because it's uh, pretty wacky and fits perfectly for this game and because uh, this game went through so much development and 
the developer has been very, very vocal about his experiences. We also, of course, have a great quote about his thought process for the music in this game. Uh, so he said, We kind of went back and forth and whittled it down. And this is a culmination of six plus years of music and that we figured out a feel and a vibe for together. It's kind of, it's this kind of LA beat scene inspired soundtrack. It's super textured and it's all field recordings and stuff mixed with super bright ukulele. It's that part right there at the end, the ukulele that stands out throughout the entire soundtrack as well. And he was trying not to make it twee, which makes complete sense. Uh, Right. I didn't realize because I haven't lived in L.A. since I was five that this was an L.A. based game until there was a scene in Joshua Tree. But if you live in the L.A. neighborhood, apparently there's a ton of Easter eggs, you know. It becomes increasingly obvious, including like the observatory and the Hollywood sign and all these other references. But he tried to make it sound like L.A. music, and I have no idea what that is. But apparently that's what the music sounds like, is L.A. in the 2000s. Uh, With ukulele. So like electronic. With ukulele. Yeah. Uh, So it's good. Um, It's... It's wacky and it it works for the there's most of the time it fades into the background and just set, sort of sets a tone. But there are a few uh, like Laura mentioned earlier, the uh, music that plays during the uh, great delivery uh, scene that plays you know after every single level uh, that I looked forward to every single time. Yeah, it's pretty nice. I, I wouldn't say that the music for this game was like a standout aspect of it to me. Like I, I walked away. A lot of the games we play, I walk away thinking, oh, man, I got to go download that soundtrack. That was pretty rad. Uh, And this game, like, you know, maybe it's my maybe I I align with them in in a slight disdain for the ukulele. Uh, But but, uh, yeah, I didn't walk away from this one thinking like I need to go and and re-listen. But that said, like the tone and feel of the game is very complimented by it. So it, it definitely works. The composer's name is Dan Costner or Costner, and it's. He has a, if I remember correctly, he does R&D on ocean optics. So he's not really a full-time music developer. For anybody who's doing that and then is going to make this game, kudos to you. That's crazy. One of the most um, kind of odd things about this game uh, is that it was a symptom of this sort of trend of indie games getting getting really quickly cloned it's maybe now the the worst example of that uh in the past we've seen uh kind of indie favorites of our of our from favorites of our show like uh get clones that then even went on to sometimes make as much money as the the game that they were cloning uh the worst example for me of that was like 2048 which was a clone of threes uh threes still an all-time favorite game of mine most people know 2048 because it was free. Now, um, so the whole concept, I said it again, the concept of the whole of this game oh. um, is pretty easy to to clone, really, because, you, you know, the idea of, of having a, a hole moving around in a level that, you know, things fall into and the hole gets bigger, it's not the, you know, it's not an impossible thing to duplicate. Um... And so while this game was in its, I don't know, how many year development six cycle? Years. Like six. Six year development cycle. 
Uh, somebody went and just took the idea of the game and created something called Hole.io, which to me seems just kind of like a... Wait, what's the term they use for, for games that are just like a bunch of free Unity assets just sort of like thrown together? I don't know. Shit. I don't know. <laughs> There's a there's a there's a word for that. Maybe yeah, it'll come it's to me. a but clone. Yeah, so this is one of those. Yeah, prestige clone. It's like yeah. asset laundering or something. I, there's a term for it. But uh, basically, this is a game where you know it's it's it seems like they they took just the idea and made it because it looks very different. It looks like a top down Grand Theft Auto style game. I've only seen like some screenshots and, and videos of it, but I, I do think this is just a symptom of the games industry right now like it's getting harder and harder to be an indie developer you know the the, the there, there's so much more competition out there and i guess there's a lot of people that just want to take shortcuts and try and uh beat someone else to the punch or put out a low effort game that you know copies someone else's work and this game was so public with its development that it's not like a, a big triple a game where like they'll keep it super hush hush this game was out there a hundred percent and so boom uh but it, you know it's interesting there's not much that a developer can do in that kind of circumstance because like the idea for a game or the mechanics of a game are not something that can be copyrighted and so you know even in circumstances where there's a blatant ripoff of a game there's not much that you can do about it you can really um you know, if they're not using your name, if they're not using your, uh, you know, your art, for example, they can make a one-for-one re-implementation of your game as long as they're as long as they're doing, uh, you know, they're they're keeping your art out of it and they're using just pure, you know, original stuff. So, uh, you know, it's kind of it, it's kind of an irritating thing for for me because I keep seeing it so much, but. Uh, it did happen right in the run-up to the release of this game. I think yeah, he was so lucky. It was only a few months out. Like he was releasing in August, and it re- just a couple months ago, the Holio came out, which is incredibly lucky considering it could have come out in 2016 and like scooped him by two yeah. years. So he got kind of lucky that he got cloned so close to the release date. True, and and it did sort of work out in a good way, I think, because almost all the cover. No, literally all the coverage I saw of his game being cloned uh, was just sort of trashing the clone and then, you know, basically building hype for Donut County. So uh, in this case, it seems to not have done too much. Occam's Razor conspiracy theory. (laughs) No, no. He had nothing to do with it. (laughs) Yeah. I don't even want to bring that up. Yeah, it's a really strange thing in the App Store. yeah, I, I'm waiting for there to even be more like larger clones. Well, I, have you seen the like Overwatch clones that are out there and stuff like that? And they're even like clones of like Disney movies and things that are just like bad that trick people. Like, uh, like someone wants to go and buy their their grandkid like Cars or something, and there's a movie that looks just like Cars, but it's not. Uh, there's it's a whole weird submarket that I, will probably just exist forever. So I'm really glad that this game finally came out. Uh, I think anyone who has played it is also feeling that way. And I think, you know, we definitely recommend checking this out. It is $4.99 on, uh, what is on iOS, uh, PS4, and Switch. 
not Switch, sorry, no Switch, iOS, Mac, PC, and PlayStation 4. Yeah, and today uh, they updated the app, and now um, the little duck emoji that you can send when you're texting people, it makes a quack noise, you can now send that to people. Uh, I played it on iPad, it was great. Laura, you played it on iPhone, right? Uh, What did you play it on, Shane? PS4. Looks great on that big old screen. And I actually bet the controller with the uh, hole would have been even more intuitive than the touchscreen, but the touchscreen was fine. You're just dragging it around a lot. Well, as as we wrap up uh, our discussion of this game, because it was so beautifully inspired by the tweets of Peter Molydew, I'd just like to share with you guys some of my favorite of his tweets. He's a very good follow on Twitter. So here are some free game ideas uh, that all the game developers out there who are listening uh, can obviously take this and, you know, just spend the next six years on. Uh, great one here. Have you ever noticed that all fighting games feature arms and legs? What if the fighters consisted entirely of various atmospheres <laughs> and gases? So that, I think that'd be a good game to play. Um, another another great game idea. Imagine a game with a playable ad where the advert gradually becomes the main game whilst the core game becomes mm. the advert. Yeah, it's good for mobile, I think. And uh, let's see. Imagine a reverse god game where you start off with a perfect world and have to destroy all life, uh, and you can only control business <laughs> transactions. <laughs> so so um, uh, the paperclip game. Yes, actually, yes. Universal paperclips. It's That's been created. Awesome. Speaking of, uh, I mean, this is, you're just reminding me of this, but uh, I, I loved Universal paperclips so much, and then a, a few weeks later, I opened up my desk, and I found a box of Universal brand paperclips, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> They're real. They're real. It's a real brand of paperclip, and now we're all doomed. Definitely. Hey, guys, what if every single pixel in a video <laughs> game had a name? Oh, God. My cat's name is Pixel. I'm, I'm like, kind of on my way there. This pixel is a cat. Well, I want to make an FPS, but if you kill someone, their pet cats follow you for the rest of the game, hauntingly <laughs> meowing at you. That is Reagan's worst nightmare. Reagan, who is on topic... Uh, or on the record, I guess, as being a uh, questionable. Yeah. Cat. <laughs> yeah. And with him? mouse traps. Reagan's <laughs> creepy. We get to because he's not here. Yeah, we gotta do our our standard tradition of the like one episode a year that Reagan isn't on. We just find a way to trash him. <laughs> Lovingly. Hey, you guys want to talk <laughs> about Freedom Planet? Always. Always. I still haven't yeah. played it. Awesome. Well, you know, this this is all making me happy. Uh, making fun of Reagan always makes me happy. Uh, but before we close out, uh, we are going to go into our new section, What's Making You Happy? So, Shane, tell me, what's making you happy this week? Oh, I'm so happy this week. Um, it's something that, you know, I, I have loved since I was young. Uh, but I received a package in the mail um, earlier uh, this week that contained all of Laura and Justin's overflowing collection of Magic the Gathering nice. cards. And that's making me extremely happy going through that and using it to build a deck. Uh, I'm kind of getting back into that game. Uh, yesterday, wait, no, day before yesterday, losing track of time, uh, I, for the very first time in my life, went to Friday Night Magic, which and I'm sure we've got a few Magic the Gathering players out there. It's a 25-year-old game at this point. Um, 
Uh, that's sort of an event. You know, you go down to your local shop, in this case, Coral Sword. Shout out to Sandy. Um, and, you know, you you can uh, play in a little mini tournament, and they have this every week. And uh, in this case, it was a draft tournament. Um, I've never played Magic as a draft form in the draft format before, and it was really, really fun. Uh, even though I lost all my games, I've been reading up on you know the theory on theories on what to pick in a draft and things like that. It's a, it's been really, really fun re-exploring something that I loved when I was like 15. So if that's not making me happy, I don't know what is. What's your favorite card of the shoebox full of? unlooked at cards we sent you um so i guess out of that shoebox what i am finding the most use for is i'm building a deck for a kind of magic called commander and for anyone who's never heard of magic uh stuff like this i don't know if this explanation will make sense but you make a very large deck you make a hundred card deck and you have one uh character card one legendary creature card that's your kind of commander card it's like it's out from the beginning of the game uh you can bring it back as many times as you want and so in building that every single one of those hundred cards has to be unique and um the best card out of the group of cards that you sent me i guess there was there's two uh one is just called thran dynamo and uh, Thran Dynamo is just a very simple kind of mana card, but it's very important to have that kind of card in your deck. Uh, and then the, the second one is called Hematite Talisman. Uh, and I want to thank you for Hematite Talisman because uh, it works so well with my commander. Uh, the commander that I chose is a guy named Felden of the Third Path. And Felden of the Third Path has the ability to take your dead cards, your dead creatures, and bring them back as artifacts. So he's like a a tinkerer who, you know, his his story is his. Uh, he's a sad old man whose wife died, and he, he uses his magic to to try to bring her back, but he realizes he can only bring back a copy of her. Um, and so, but what's great is that with the hematite talisman, I can bring back two Ooh. copies of a card. <laughs> so uh, it's it's uh, it's great. Uh, I'm having a lot of fun just sort of exploring all those cards. Um, and I'm going to be trying to trade some of them to kind of uh, build up the rest of the cards I want for my commander deck. I'm trying not to spend too much money. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's it's been really fun, really, really fun to kind of get back into it and see how the game has evolved over the past 15 years. Yeah, I played a lot of Magic as well. I love the draft system, um, and it also has, um, I think, part of the reason I love deck building board games is so much that is essentially from my understanding kind of what inspired a lot of those deck building games is the yeah i think it created the kind of yeah the, the pattern that so many of these games are based oddly on. my only exposure to this is a huge name drop but my only exposure to magic was when the um the company that produces the cards were looking for someone to build a demo of it and I wrote like a how to do mechanics for an online version and then I set that off and I never heard from them again so that is my only exposure was they had me learn the game so I could help them prototype a online version nice. and then I never it's okay it's okay Laura again. we've said for years like one of the main reasons we you know uh, started trying to get you on the show is you're the only one of us with actual game design history and background and so any, I play the <laughs> least magic but the most but professional capacity you can sort of just drop that into the show I think it, it's 
totally fine. Uh, Laura, what, what's really making care. you happy right now? So there is a website called onthegrid.city, and its concept is that designers in different neighborhoods of a city that know it really well, they either work there or live there, write up guides to that city. So, you know, in Chicago, there's a lot of local shops that will say, you know, hey, we work and live in Worker Park. Here are our favorite go-to spots. And since it's a design company, it's a really nice mix of stores, cool local neighborhood eating joints, like all kinds of stuff like that. The last three weekends, Jess and I have tried to, you know, we might be moving from Chicago. So we've been trying to go to places we haven't gone to before. We've found, uh, you know, through the site uh, in five minutes of driving, like a great Filipino breakfast place. We went to a French cafe and we had a paprika smoked salmon head for breakfast, which is... Sounds disgusting. It was really fun. <laughs> they were like, it's super messy, but if you're up for it, like it's 15 bucks, go for it. And we tried it and it was super fun. Um, and, you know, this last week we went to a southern place and I had uh, fried green tomatoes Benedict on cornbread. Ooh. All places I never would have heard of. They're tiny, very neighborhoody places. Um, I've used this when I've traveled in. Um, when I we were on our honeymoon, I used it in Ljubljana. I've used it in Montreal on business trips, but this is one of the first times I've used it for my own neighborhood. Uh, it's really fun to look at it, a neighborhood you know well, uh, and say, "Oh, they pointed out the pothole, or they pointed out my favorite pie shop," and then picking one that's a little out of the way. We used it as an excuse because we were donating a bunch of like you know school supplies and stuff to Goodwill, just trying to get our you know Deatrice out of our house. While we were in neighborhoods we hadn't been before, we used it as a way to find new places. It's really nice to get a different side of a city you think you know. So on the grid that city um, is really good if you're traveling, but also maybe look at a rest a area of town you haven't been to in a while. It's a good excuse to kind of re-see your city. Yeah, I love that. That sounds like a great idea. And I, there's a place in St. Louis that also uses cornbread for just about everything that you would normally use like uh, English muffins or, or whatever and it's fantastic. It's one of my favorites. It was fantastic. They were playing uh, Last Unicorn the whole time we were eating breakfast. <laughs> That's awesome. It was wonderful. Uh, great. So uh, mine two real small things uh, making me happy. Uh, Lola started walking which is awesome but also terrifying but that's oh. making me happy and also uh, I know this has been in other cities for a while now uh, but St. Louis recently got uh, infested with motorized scooters from two different companies, uh, Lime and Bird. And <laughs> I wish that would happen. To uh, and it's like a dollar to start it. And then it's 15 cents a minute after that, uh, which is pretty cheap to just like be able to hop on a scooter and ride it around. And I did it for the first time the other day. They can go upwards of 20 miles per hour, if not faster, if you're on a hill. I almost ate it real hard, but uh, I didn't, uh, and <laughs> it was fun. So I, I don't know. It's great. Like I, I love this business model of just like dropping a bunch of things into a city, having little GPS trackers on them so they kind of know where they are, giving you an app to activate it, you pay for it, and then just see what happens. They're all over. We saw someone the other day. <laughs> I, don't, I will never understand how they did this, but they had two, one on each foot, 
hands on each handles and they were just going. It was, yeah, it was what? wonderful. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So I don't know if they're if they're in your city and you, <laughs> yeah. Why but not? Why? <laughs> um, yeah, it's wonderful. So it's I don't know. It's fun and it made me happy to ride one. So that's making me happy. Cool. Uh, so we're gonna go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, if you uh, like our show and want to tell us about it or want to uh, promote it, first of all, tell your friends. That's like the best way uh, people find out about podcasts. That's how I find out about the most most of the podcasts. But also, you can go to iTunes and leave us a review. Uh, we love to hear them, read them. I'll read it on the show if you say something nice. Uh, it really supports the show, um, and we really, truly appreciate it. You can also go to theshortgame.net, fill out a contact form. If you want to recommend a game, a large majority or large percentage of the games we covered on the show come from recommendations. If you've recommended a game before and we haven't done it, we have it on a list. That's where we go to all the time when we start looking for new games. We'll probably do it at some point. Please let us know. There's so many games that we have would have never known about if it wasn't for your game recommendations. You can also see our back catalog on that website as well. You can follow the show on Twitter at underscore short game. You can follow me on Twitter at Nate STL. Laura, where can people follow you? You can find me on Twitter at Laura J Nash. Awesome. There's that J again. And Shane, <laughs> how about you? You can follow me on Twitter at 8BitShane. And you can follow Peter Mollydew at <laughs> Peter Mollydew. Uh, and uh, he has some advice for lovers of short games. If you think an action game, action game campaign mode is too short, why not pause the game for a minute after every kill and think <laughs> about who they were? <laughs> Dear God. Words yep. to live by. Okay, and on that, thank you again so much for listening to The Short Game, and we'll see you next time.